Well, I'm going to skip the joke, sorry. Fine, I'll do one. Horse walks into a bar and the bartender says, Why the long face? You notice the gentleman laughing? He sent me that joke. (laughs) I'm glad you like it, Joe. Oh, my word. <laughs> I tried that somewhere else last week, and they, they were like, shut up. It's the stupidest joke ever. Like, just preach. Matthew chapter 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. Anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will receive the reward of a prophet. And if you receive a righteous person as a righteous person, you will be given a righteous person's reward. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you will surely not lose your reward. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to read it again. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. One more time. Anyone who receives you receives me. And anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. And if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you will be given the reward of a prophet. And if you receive a righteous person, as a righteous person, you will be given the reward of a righteous person. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you will surely be rewarded, or you will surely not lose your reward. I think, I think we kind of understand this principle when we imagine it on the mission field. Do you understand the principle? The principle is, Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he says, look, I'm sending you out, that's what the word apostle means, it's sent one, I'm sending you out as representatives of my kingdom, you're going in my name, with my authority, with my message, and you know, as a person receives the messenger, they receive the one who sent the messenger, right? So, remember the story in the Old Testament, which I've been thinking about quite a bit, where These messengers from an Israelite king are sent to a foreign king to try to establish peace. And the guy says, I'm not listening to you. He grabs the dudes and he like shaves off half their beards. Just half, you know. And then like sends them home. And they're so embarrassed that they go to a foreign country and wait till their beard to grow back. Can you understand why I've been thinking about that a little bit lately? Because I screwed this up right here. By nervously pulling it out, and now I'm waiting for it to grow back, and I'm really frustrated. But anyway, uh, but the interesting thing is the disrespect shown the messenger started a war. 
Because as you treat a, as you treat a king's messenger, it will be, that's how you're treating the king because the king has placed himself in extension into the messenger. So Jesus says, if they receive you, they're actually receiving me because I'm the one who's authorized you and sent you. And if they receive me, they receive the Father. So we understand this on the mission field, don't we? Somebody comes representing Jesus and they bring the gospel and they say, God loves you. Jesus died to break every sin and every, he, broke, he died to break the power of sin and he rose to destroy death and he loves you. Will you turn from this way of life to accept his? That if the people say, Psh, you guys aren't speaking for God, you're idiots. That we understand on the mission field that they're actually rejecting God, making his appeal through the ambassadors. We get that. That if they honor, if they honor the, the evangelist or the messenger, they'll get what the messenger carries. That if they say, I'm gonna, like Paul says to the Galatians, he says, when I came to you, I came to you because of an illness, but you guys didn't take up offense because I was weak and sick. Rather, you received me like I was an angel from heaven. And then you go on to see that not only, that the consequence of the way that they received Paul was that they took his words as coming straight from God. They didn't take it as the opinions of a man. They took it as the voice of the Lord through a man. And as a result, they attached their faith to that message. Here's what I'm trying to point out here. When you honor who someone is in Christ, you receive what they're carrying in the spirit. If you dishonor the person in front of you, in your heart, you cannot receive grace through them. And we understand this principle on the mission field, but when it comes to local church relationships, we seem to think it doesn't apply. You dig? Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? So Pete carries gifts. Pete's a man of God. Pete has intimacy with God. He's been endowed with, with gifts from the Holy Spirit. But if I'm too busy stumbling over whether Pete called me on the phone this week and I'm offended, or if I don't even see him as a man of God, I just see him as some dude that comes to a church and he's probably got all sorts of issues, I can walk right past someone who God's deposited grace in for me and never get it, never get in on it. It is so possible to come to a church where the spirit is moving in power and, and, and there was, a, there was, a, there was an, a waterfall of grace available and leave dry. It's amazing to me, like the idea you can go up the mountain of the Lord and see things from a different perspective. Things look so different up the mountain of the Lord than they do down in the camp. And Moses would go up the mountain of the Lord and he would come down and his face was shining and the average Israelite was still grumbling against Moses and grumbling against the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? Like God was in the midst and it did not translate to faith automatically. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I could just go back in the Bible and live at the, times when, the time when Jesus walked the planet, that I would have such great faith? If I could just be an eyewitness to Jesus, I would have such great faith? That's a lie. Isn't that a lie? Because the Israelites, they saw all the miracles. They heard the booming voice of the Lord and they said, Moses, you go up the mountain. We're not going up there. They shrunk back in fear from the presence. And as a result of shrinking back in fear from the presence, they treated Moses with contempt. 
constant rebellion against the Lord and his servant Moses. And I just want to submit to you the idea that the people in the pews around you, if you'll learn to receive who they are in Christ and honor them appropriately, you will never experience a spiritual drought in church. That the spiritual drought is in you. Do you you understand what I'm saying? And your hope can never come from how somebody else starts to make choices. You're signing yourself up for a mindset that you're saying, I'm only going to be as encouraged as you line up with my preferences and expectations. Then you're only as strong as the weakness around you. One of the big values on my heart is that we establish a congregation that is a culture of honor. A culture that actually practices this. That, notice there's a progression. Jesus says, if you receive an apostle as an apostle, because that's, that's who the you is in Matthew 10, you receive the reward of an apostle. Let's talk about that in a second. If you receive a prophet as a prophet, you'll receive the reward of a prophet. If you receive just a regular righteous person, like a saint, just a saint, as a, as a saint, you'll receive the reward of a saint. And if you receive even the simplest of these ones, I think he's referring to his disciples, but using children as his connecting point, if you receive even just a regular disciple, as, as a disciple, showing kindness to them as one of mine, you'll be rewarded for that too. That, that's an amazing thing. God's heart is to reward. God's heart is to pour out his spirit. God's heart is to impart strength to you that you didn't earn through people who did. There's something that we cultivate that we carry. There's some, if each of us walks faithfully in the secret place, then who we are created to be will be developed. And we develop that. We develop that through prioritizing the Lord and walking in his ways and hearing his voice until some sort of, some sort of momentum is built here that there's something built in my walk with Jesus where I become more fully myself. That the DNA that God put in me in my mother's womb and that got activated in my new birth, that as I walk closely with the Lord, that thing becomes active and I begin to carry things. Things are deposited in your walk with the Lord in the secret place that you then carry. You develop through your obedience to Jesus and his voice. The more you steward his voice in the small things, the more upgrades are given and understanding increases and character is given and you begin to have a, a reservoir of strength that you are walking in. And if I will just rightly relate to you, I will get for free what you cultivated through effort. If I will see, if you receive an apostle as an apostle, then you will get the anointing will be released into your life for all that they carry, though you don't have to develop it in a moment. But if you turn that off in dishonor, you won't. If you receive a prophet as a prophet, not as Joe, but as a son of the living God who heard the voice of the Lord and who carries the voice of the Lord, carries the heart of the Lord, right? If I receive you as just who you are in the natural, I won't. And I'm just telling you right now, this is why when a visiting speaker comes in, it's anointed. 
And when one of our own house speaks, it's more challenging. When I go to speak other places, I talk differently, and it's not because of me. It's because of what they're pulling on in the spirit. I remember Mark Davis went with me to Teen Challenge one day, and he said, I don't understand why you don't preach like that at Gateway. He said, that's the best I've ever heard you. And I'm like, well, that's pretty much how I am when I'm not at home. Because there's hunger and expectancy, and it's always hardest at home. It's hardest for you, and it's hardest for me. And it's the proving ground of the authenticity of what we carry. It's the proving ground of our character and our integrity. It's the proving ground of our love. Just like marriage is like love, you love one another. It's one thing to love, be in love with the idea of love. It's another thing to love real people, right? And like marriage, it like proves your love. It tests it. It, it strength tests the bridge to see how much weight this thing can carry. And one of the things that I love about marriage that I've learned, that I'm still learning, but I've learned, I went through a season where I was like furious all the time. I went through a season where I would like call my friend Sam on the phone and I'd be like, that woman crazy, y'all. She crazy. When she does laundry, she don't even fold the socks. She don't even partner the socks. She puts all the socks in the drawer and then I got to get up in the morning and I got to find the pair. So I found the black one with the one pattern. Now I got to, where is it? It's not here. And that was like a big deal to me. I hope that's funny to you because that was like a big deal to me. You know, and for years I was like, just let me do my own laundry. And she was like, that's not romantic. And she loses the car keys sometimes. Like one time our family didn't come to church and I was having fellowship. Are you okay, babe? Are we all right? Okay. See? Just got to check, baby. You know what I'm saying? Just because you live together doesn't mean you understand each other. Got to over-communicate, all right? You know what I'm saying? Over-communicate. Don't under-communicate. But I was over at the fellowship meal ranting and raving to Dennis Utuzis. Sweet man of God. I love that guy. And I was ranting to him. I was like, he's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, my family isn't even here. I called my wife. She never even came to church because she lost both sets of the van keys. (laughs) And (laughs) she lost the spares too. And I was just so mad. And he said, so let me ask you something, Tim. You love your wife, right? I said, I absolutely love my my wife. She's amazing. I wouldn't want to ever be married to anyone else. She's incredible. I'm in love with her and I love her. All that. Yes, absolutely. And I'm super ticked. (laughs) Super ticked. Those things can definitely coexist. You know what I'm saying? And he says, let me ask you this. If she were a woman who wouldn't have the personality to lose keys, would she also still be the woman that you are in love with? I said, no. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, I got to change. And I asked the Lord. One day I was just so mad about the lost keys. Like, I hijacked the whole system. Like, you know how they have the safety things in them? That's a long story. I'm trying to shorten it. I was just mad. I was like, really? Lost keys again? We don't have keys? Now I got to go take it to the dealership and pay $120 to have them reset it because they like to pillage and thieve? Anyway, it ain't to protect your car from getting stolen, everybody. Let's just be real about it. It's just to get your money. Anyway, get on point, Timmy. Get on point. Bring it home, ADHD. Bring it back. You can make it. You can do it. And I said, Jesus, what the heck am I supposed to do? And he said, he asked me a question. You realize we're still talking about how to honor each other, right? Okay, we haven't changed the topic. He said, Tim, what are you going to do if Carrie never changes? And I was like, be furious forever is what I wanted to say. (laughs) 
Do you know what he said? Oh, you know when the Lord asks you a question, it's a setup, right? You're about to get, you're about to get corrected. That's how I've known it. What are you going to do if your wife never changes? Are you guys uncomfortable with the dynamic that's happening right here? Okay. All right. Because I'm going to love her. That's what he said to me. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to love her. Oh, no. You mean I'm the one who has to change my mind? So the Lord, so, so I started thinking, what would it be? How do, I, how do I love Carrie knowing that the things she brings to my life are so worth me adjusting? Do you know what I'm saying? The things she brings to my life are so precious and so valuable to me that it's worth adjusting and saying, I'm not going to try to change you. I'm going to make allowance for how you are and how God made you. And I'm going to see if, what is, it, what is it that I need to do? So I ended up making a bunch of copies of keys and like deactivating the safety mechanism and cutting it out with a razor knife and super gluing it to the, to the steering column and, and like getting nine keys. You know what I'm saying? Now I have big pink lanyards on stuff. Have a, that's what I'm saying. Because she's going to keep losing keys. And she's going to put the socks the way she puts them. And who cares? If I can learn to celebrate who she is without tripping over who she's not, if I can learn to celebrate how different she is from me instead of wishing I could remake myself in my own image in her, am I right? And I'm just, here's why I want to say this. Like the first part of a marriage is oftentimes people trying to change each other into their own image. And eventually, they learn to let the other person be who they are, see who they've been made to be, stop trying to change them, and just celebrate who they are and be themselves and and enjoy each other. You understand where I'm headed with this, right? If you do receive a prophet as a prophet, and let him be a prophet, you're going to get in on all the grace they carry and the Holy Spirit will flow. But if you're so busy judging them for not being a teacher... If you're so busy judging them for not having the hospitality gift, you're going to completely miss who they are, resent them for who God didn't even make them to be, and, and go home dry and mad. You, you, you catching what I'm throwing down? And so like last week, I, I sort of opened a topic where I said, Jesus has designed his church to function a certain way, but we have structured the church in the United States in a way that is different from how the New Testament is structured to operate. The New Testament is not structured to operate with policies that volunteers then staff. The congregation is not cogs in a wheel or values-neutral servants who just do whatever they need to do. Understand a servant's heart is always essential. Understand we, of course, are called to be able to do things that we don't like. Duh. But if you spend most of your time serving in areas that God hasn't anointed you to serve in, you're going to burn out. And you're going to be super mad that other people aren't doing their duty. But if you'll discover who Christ made you and what he's anointed you for and flow in that, you will never burn out. Because when you get busy doing the thing he made you to do, you'll actually experience accelerated growth in your relationship with God. Each part of the body of Christ has a unique assignment. I feel like there's some people who, who, who in their core DNA, they're like kidneys. 
And, and you can't hand the microphone to the kidneys and say, preach a sermon. And you don't see them functioning. They're not visible on Sunday morning. But you sure notice when they break down, don't you? I don't think Gateway's missing microphone people, but I think there's some people missing at Gateway. We, get, we have nice services on Sunday morning, but there's some body life missing, and you all feel it, and I feel it. And I don't think the solution is I come up here, form a plan, get a set of programs, and tell you all to do your duty. The solution is the same as it's always been. If you will develop intimacy with Jesus, figure out who you are first as his son or daughter, and then figure out your assignment because he's anointed you for your assignment. He hasn't anointed you for anything else. So the further you're walking from your assignment, the more burnout, stressed out, ticked off, and upset you're going to be. And then you'll look for a reason to explain why you are the way you are. And most of the time, it's easy to find reasons all around you. But they're not the problem. The problem is you're off mission. Because if you won't passionately pursue intimacy with Jesus and faithfulness in that assignment, you're out of the flow of grace for you. You open yourself to all sorts of struggles and temptations you were never meant to face, like David, when at the time when kings go to war, he was at home lounging on his couch and he looks at Bathsheba and he gets into temptation and trouble he was never meant to be in because he wasn't in the fight he was made for. You catching it? So last week I tried to talk about wineskins and new wine and that any time the Holy Spirit stirs up something healthy, distributing something good in the body of Christ, you have to then build a new wineskin around that to contain it because if you try to put the new thing God's doing into the, into the old structure that was built for the previous outpouring, it will destroy the structure, ruin the thing. People will think, you're, oh, you're dishonoring the past and you're, ups- you're upsetting the fruit basket and how dare you dishonor those who did this, that, and the other. And that's not the heart of a new wine outpouring at all. But the, so last, night, last time I was trying to just talk about if, you, if, you, if God's doing something you, new, you need to reorient your expectations and structures. And then every time God does something new, it tears the old wineskins if you try to do it that way. And so like this week, one of the questions I got, I got was like, well, if you're saying that you're not primarily anointed pastorally, but you're primarily anointed apostolically, then why do we even pay you? And that question, that question reveals an American wineskin trying to figure out how to fit the New Testament wine in it. You dig? Because we in America call the senior leader, a pastor, and in the New Testament, all there are is elders and deacons. And pastor's not a job or a role, it's an anointing to gather. It gets complicated, doesn't it? I'm trying not to comment on that, Anthony. It's challenging, isn't it? So let me tell you what, what, what I'm really excited about and what I really, really, really want to develop here. Some people have said when they hear about fivefold stuff and, and, you know, what are you really saying, Tim? I feel like it's so groundbreaking that we don't even have a clue what it's going to look like. And I'm like, it's not that crazy. What I'm talking about is very simple. My passion is to see you intimately connected to God 
And then out of that place of intimacy, he'll put passions on your heart. He'll put passions on your heart and he'll put gifts in you. Now my job, my job as sort of an apostolic voice in this church is to find a way to identify who you are and send you to do that thing you were made to do. I'm not interested in cookie cutters. I'm not interested in one size fits all. I'm interested in every single person here already has God's fingerprints all over them. There's never been anyone like you and there never will be again. So the question is, how, what is it that Chuck's passionate about and oriented and gifted for and how can we find a way to honor him for what he carries in the spirit? Because Ephesians 4 says so clearly that as each part does its work, the whole body of Christ becomes built up and mature and we actually look like Jesus. That's the only time we look like Jesus. I don't think programs and policies are bad because sometimes someone with an anointing, God will give them a plan to help facilitate his will. Programs are good. But what I'm scared of is programs that are not flexible enough to change shape to match the people God's given us. Do you understand? And what I definitely don't want to do is, oh, well, we have need for Sunday school teachers, so let's put somebody with a hospitality gift in there and expect them to teach and love it. That, doesn't, that, that might work, but long term, something's going to break. Because again, you have an assignment and you have an anointing to achieve it. So if you're standing way outside your assignment, you're standing outside where God's grace is for you. The empowerment is over here, but you're way over here. And again, typically the people who work their butts off, not in the area they're called to, but out of obligation and a sense of, well, we should do this because the church matters, darn it. They tend to look around the room and anyone who isn't working as hard for the church, anyone who isn't as miserable as they are, then gets judged. Amen. One of the hilarious, humorous quotes that I'll often say to Carrie at home, this is interesting, this missing people over here, but you guys are nice and full over here. That's cool. Great job, left side. I'm sorry, right side for you, yeah. One of the things that, that I jokingly will say when I'm having a hard time is, and do for the church, which is like a sarcastic joking thing, is I do all this for everyone else and then I do for the church. It's a fictional character in a satirical... It's, it's really funny when you're there. You had to be there. But if you're moving in your anointing, chances are you're encouraged. The more opportunities you have to move in your anointing, in the thing you're designed to do, the more encouraged you'll be. And trust me, guys, encouragement comes when you're up the mountain of the Lord, not when you're down in the camp talking to other campers. Unless those campers are actually encouraged and their faces are glowing because they've been up the mountain of the Lord. It's so fascinating to me. If you look at cell structure, like in, the, in, a, in a human body, there are always external threats to the body. Health is not determined by the presence of threats, viruses, bacteria, challenges, environmental challenges, fatigue, and all these other things. Health is not determined by these external factors. Health is determined by the body's immune response. And the body's immune response is on the cellular level. Have I lost you yet? The body's immune response is on the cellular level. Each cell refuses to let a virus come in bypass its cell wall and reprogram its nucleus to make it start doing something it's not designed to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? 
A virus will hijack the cell, attach itself to the nucleus, reprogram the nucleus so that the cell is no longer functioning according to what it's designed to do. But now it's been hijacked by a foreign entity. Health in the body of Christ is a byproduct of individuals who refuse to let anxiety around them create anxiety in them, but they stay on mission with their assignment. They refuse to let fear of the future, distrust, and blame take over. These are forces that are universal. These are forces that are universal in our country, in all businesses, large and small. These are forces that are universal in any school. These are forces that are universal in any home. We're not unique having these challenges of fear, anxiety, distrust, and blame, and dishonor. These are not unique. Every group faces them. Every person faces them. Health is not determined by whether these are challenges you face. Health is determined by your immune response. Will you continue to let your nucleus, how you're designed, your assignment, determine your direction? Or will you listen to these voices out of empathy and sympathy and compassion and all, oh, what if we don't listen to these people? They won't know they're loved. Imagine a group of cells, a group of cells that are doing what they're designed to do, but then you, and they're going, we're going to hold the line and we're not going to be sidetracked. And you look over and here's a bunch of cells that have opened themselves up and they're dialoguing with viruses. And they're letting those viruses get in them and that negativity from the viruses is getting in them. The next thing you know, the thing is spreading throughout the body. And these healthy cells turn to the sick cells and they go, what did you do? Why did you do that? And the sick cells say this. They were all alone and didn't seem like anyone cared about them. I needed to listen to them. They matter too. And this is the major difference between empathy and compassion. Love insists on destroying this keyboard. No, love insists on health. A healthy body's immune response says... If you want to be a part of this body, you cannot be destructive and irresponsible. You have to take responsibility for your own well-being. And I refuse to let your lack of knowing who you are and where you're going completely reorient and reprogram me so now my mission is you and your concerns. That sounds so unloving, doesn't it? And yet it's what Jesus does all through the Gospels. He calls a virus by its real name And he's not, he's so confrontational. And you have fascinating things in the scripture. And I think we kind of, we understand these are here, but we're not sure how to pair them with grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like where Paul will say, this behavior among you, this attitude among you will kill the body like a cancer. It's the kind of yeast that spreads through the whole church. So what we need you to do is we need an immune response. It's not an unloving thing to have a body have an immune response. And a healthy body has you taking responsibility for your deep unhappiness. Have I lost the plot? Are we okay? All right. It's awfully hot in here, or is it just that I'm walking around in circles? There's a lot of different opinions on that topic. Okay. All right. Tammy next week is going to try to talk about... Going to try. Going to try. Let's try that again. Tammy next week is going to do an amazing job going back to Ephesians 4 and, and, and more carefully parsing out 
what the apostolic anointing, what the prophetic anointing is, what the teaching anointing, what the pastoral anointing, what the evangelistic anointings are, what they are and what they aren't. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to that. I almost wanted to read a thing off your Facebook and I thought, that's her, that's her preaching notes. I don't want to steal her preaching notes. But there is this, div, there's this divine design to the church where every single part is essential. But if I am taking my assignment and looking at the person next to me and saying, they're off mission if they're not on my assignment, I'm going to miss who they've been created to be. But if I can honor them for who they are, I can receive the grace they carry. Real quick, Mark chapter 6, Jesus in his hometown begins to preach. I'll read it to you. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Good start, right? They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? But something happened between verses 2 and 3. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The reason I'm so passionate about this thing of like learning to create a culture of honor is because we will quench the Holy Spirit and our church will not be a healthy church. And it's not because you don't believe the right things about Jesus. It's because you don't believe the right things about each other. I promise you, if you've stopped receiving grace through my preaching, you, there's, something that, there's something that happened in your heart toward me. If you stop being able to worship on Sunday morning, but you used to think Matt Rowan was anointed, there's something that happened in your heart towards Matt. Across the board, across the pews, in every direction. If this environment ceased to be an environment where grace is flowing for you, Something has happened in your heart with dishonor or offense has been taken up. Looking at each other according to the flesh, doing what I did to carry in the, in the early stages of our marriage, where I'm so mad about who she's not that I miss who she is. I think a healthy marriage has nothing to do with each these people finally become amazing. It's just that they, be, they learn to embrace who the other person is and embrace who they are. It's a big deal for you to learn to embrace who you are. If you don't like who you are, you will not embrace your assignment. If you've internalized all sorts of negative voices in your life because others have reacted to you and you've let them speak louder than Jesus, then you'll be off mission. I'm I'm going to admit it to you. I've had a lot of negative stuff about me come out of my own mouth because of things people have said about me in relationship. 
And it's not good, and some of my close friends have been pointing that out to me lately. They're like, Tim, you're disqualifying yourself based on criticisms from people who don't know who God has made you to be. It's frustrating to my friends. They're holding me accountable to be more offensive in the healthy ways. Don't take that the wrong way. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand. Lord, it seems to me this is like a a basic relationship health message. It's not really about preaching. It's not really about church. It's really about just relationships and how beautiful you've made people and how hard of a time we have embracing who they are because we're so insecure about who we are that we don't understand how we're all allowed to be different. It seems like, God, we're so not sure of your love for us and design of us that we stumble to embrace someone different from us because we're, we're stuck in competition instead of cooperation and celebration. And I'm asking God that you would do something in our hearts to be able to see the people around us, starting with ourselves and then our kids and our spouses and our siblings and our, that starting at home, really. I feel like God, that you've said this to me so many times that if we can be faithful at home, that's the hardest test. And this is home in some sense. This is our home church. So I'm asking in Jesus' name that we would fall in love with each other enough to endure the discomfort of how differently you've designed us. That was a lot of Ds. Holy Spirit, we invite you to irritate us. We invite you to bring annoyances to the surface so that we can engage you with them and change our mind about people. I ask God for you to give me, Tim, favor with Gateway that they would receive what I carry and not trip over what I don't carry. And I, and I ask it, God, so, not, so much not for my own sake. I ask it, God, that they would receive grace and get more connected to you and get strong and know how loved they are, know how valuable they are, know what an important and essential part they play both in this body and in the broader work of your kingdom. And God, I ask that you would raise up the various gifts of the Spirit among us so that the community can be healthy, so that the gaps can be filled by people you've already designed to fill gaps. God, your design is good, but it doesn't look according to our preference. So we ask Jesus that you would truly be head of the church. We elders are not the head of the church. Jesus, you are the head of the church. We're just here to help connect the body to the head. We're like the neck. So Lord, help us to be a good neck. Not constricted or constrained by a collar that's too tight. In Jesus' name, would you remove the things from people's hearts that are causing them to disqualify who you've made them? Let us be a church, God, that that actually calls people into their identity. Let us be a church that lays hands on each other and speaks life into each other and values What's, what's great about each other. I guess I'll just say amen. That ringtone is sort of signaling the end there. <laughs> Bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Call your mom if she's not here. <laughs>